<laughs> Rhonda? Welcome to the Christian Indie Writers <laughs> Podcast, where we inform, encourage, and support Christian indie writers on their journey toward publication, even on days when we have double... <laughs> oh, I can hear it in your headphones. Like, So are you watching yourself somehow? Sorry for that, everybody. I finally (laughs) found it, and here we are. So let's start all over again. (laughs) Welcome to the Christian Indie Writers Podcast, where we inform, encourage, and support Christian indie writers on their journey toward publication. I'm Rhonda Hagerman, and I write fiction and nonfiction under the pen name D.D. Bowman. I'm Christina Katane, and I write Christian fantasy. I'm Jamie Hirschberger. I write short fiction under the pen name J.R. Nichols. Okay, thanks for tuning in, everybody. As you can see, we are short a host, and I'm here to uh, make everybody laugh this morning, I suppose. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody who's live, um, and also thank you, everybody who's listening on our podcast platforms. So wherever you're listening or watching us, please hit like and subscribe and and do all those little button-pushy things. Also, we have a newsletter. Um, so if you go to our website, the Christian Indie Writers Podcast.com, we have a newsletter that we would love to inform you with every week. So uh, let's begin with finding out what our other hosts are doing today. Jamie, what's up with you? Well, good morning to you, Rhonda and Tina, and good morning to all of our chatters. I see Piper and Liz and Gigi. Yay, it's been a while since Gigi was able to join us for the lives. Um, My what's up this week, I'm going to continue with my um, stoicism quotes and parallel them with the Bible, and I wonder if there be any uh, opportunity for discussion here, because here is the quote. First, I will read you from the point of view of the perspective of the Stoic Marcus Aurelius. Um, Don't allow yourself to be heard any longer griping about public life, not even with your own ears. And the Bible verse that parallels that uh, Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And it goes on in 15 to say that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So um, I was kind of thinking about this concept all week and brought it up a little bit in the office hours. Do you ladies have any thoughts about how difficult or not it is to practice this? (laughs) I have no problem speaking, not speaking either. Oh, so like you're really good at holding in your complaints. Well, yes, until they over and then I can't stop saying until the volcano erupts yes Um, we have this little saying at our house um, don't be an Israelite and so that is a reference back to the Israelites when they were wandering around for 40 years in the desert and they were griping and whining and complaining and God was like smiting them left and right for doing it (laughs) so that's a we try to yeah. remind each other in a nice way. 
Uh, you're being a little whiny right now. <laughs> yeah, complaining in general seems to be a habit. And it seems like also there can be entire relationships built off of complaining. Like as I, I think about it, and sometimes you have that one friend where it's almost like you get together and you complain and they complain and the whole thing is like a complaint fest. And the goodness or badness of that is really what was in question for me because it's kind of like, well, at least you're containing it to just this one person that you're complaining all of your complaints to. And then maybe you get them out and then go away. But then I wonder if that just made me more prone to complain in other times. Because the place where I'm at when I'm complaining about something is not somewhere that I feel good on the inside, right? Mm -hmm. And so I prefer the person that I am when I'm not complaining. And so it seems like a discipline to practice. There was a challenge one time to try to go 20 days without complaining a single time. Do you all think that you could make that challenge? I would have Rhonda. to research the definition of complaining <laughs> and, and find out exactly what qualifies mm. and what doesn't. Right. And it does only count when you say the complaint out loud or if you're complaining inside, does that count also? Yeah, I would I would say looking for a loophole <clears throat> means that the challenge might be something beneficial for yeah. a person. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's lots of scriptures about having an attitude of gratefulness and a thankful heart and all that stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Gratitude has really pulled me out of the pit of despair um, on occasion. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I suppose if you are tempted toward complaining, you can maybe instead voice something to be grateful for. I don't know. I fail miserably at it. I'm not trying to be on a high horse. Just wanted to let you all know that's what I was thinking this week. So what's up yeah. with you, Tina? Well, it's been kind of a crazy week at my house. Um, I got a lot accomplished, but uh, not a lot of it was on my book. <laughs> put it that way. So there's just other stuff going on that I had to take care of. And so I've just been plugging away, at, um, trying to get some of it done. Yeah. Some, uh, life stuff, huh? <clears throat> yeah. Life stuff. And you know, the holidays are coming and I have stuff going on. So some, and you know, Sometimes when I'm con, I tend to have a one track mind. This is my problem. I have tunnel vision. I get focused on one thing and I, and I kind of obsess on that thing. And then other stuff doesn't get done. That's my problem. Mm -hmm. So this other stuff that wasn't getting done needed to get done. Mm -hmm. I have kind of same thing. You know, our uh, Clifton strings are so close, Tina, that you and I can relate on a lot of things. And um, since doing Clifton Strengths, I guess this will be my what's up. Uh, <clears throat> my Clifton Strengths gave me permission to do exactly what we were just talking about. Concentrate on the things that you're good at. Um, and then it made uh, doing the things that I don't like easier to do because I had permission to finally obsess over things like that, like you're talking about. But I was able to contain it into time frames more. Right. And that yeah, was like all because of the Clifton strengths. Yeah. Like seeing it as a strength frames it differently than seeing it as something that An is indulgence. wrong with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Jason has joined us. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Shell. Piper says her what's up. She's back from Vegas and trying to regroup. So much info, like trying to get a drink from a fire hose, trying to figure out her book for Magnificent Midpoint would help. Well, she's she's uh, letting us know what our topic today is. Um, she also likes don't be an Israelite, Tina. And Liz Henderson says she'd fail the 20 days of no complaining <laughs> challenge. <laughs> Hi there, Talia. Um, Piper says she thinks not speaking a complaint would be a good first step, even if you hear it in your head. And yeah. then Leah says her what's up is she's ending one project and beginning another. Awesome. Isn't that what life's all about? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Another thing life is all about is this podcast. So <laughs> let's talk about today's uh, topic. And that is from Murky Middle to Magnificent Midpoint. So, uh, which of you ladies would like to tell us what do we mean by a murky middle? Go ahead, Tina. Um, it's just that part in the middle of your story where you just feel like you get bogged down and it's not going anywhere. And you're, maybe you're going off on <laughs> rabbit trails and it just feels murky. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of, um, when I think of it, it's like, if you picture your writing the novel as a journey, it's kind of the dark and gloomy part of the forest that you must traverse where you can't really see too far in front of your face. And um, that's how it feels <laughs> mentally in your head. Like, like you're just not sure if you take it the next step forward, are you going to fall out a hole? So you're a little bit afraid to take that step. And in fact, sometimes you're not even sure which direction to turn. Okay. So um, can either of you tell me a story about when you've had to deal with murky metals in your novel or any story, any type of writing? Every time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well the one that comes to mind for me is when I first did nano and I started writing my um, novel and like I had just a hundred and some thousand words of just rambling stuff that was happening like there was a lot of stuff happening but there really wasn't a story there so that whole thing was kind of murky but especially the middle because I was used to writing short stuff and so Having to drag out a story into 80,000 words to me was like, okay, I'll just take the silly putty and stretch it, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of adding to it. So that was the problem I had. Okay. Yeah. And you- Tina, I remember when you were talking about Lost and you had to have her go literally on a journey and um, you were just like, she's got to spend all of this time <laughs> mm-hmm. walking from here to there. And I've got to fill that time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just like, nobody wants to hear read twenty thousand words about walking through the woods. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so Tina, um, are you saying that your first step was to add something then to your outline? Or yeah, novel, I had or? to. I had to have a story, and I had to have something motivating my character, and so she had to have some reason to be doing what she was doing, other than you know. She was just walking through the woods. Okay. Jamie, do you have a similar story? 
Sort of, yeah. Although I, I did not recognize it as being stuck in the murky middle at the time. I just had my people literally hanging around talking to each other in the woods. Funny how both Tina and I had people in the woods. And it's like I couldn't get them out of there. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't seem to finish the chapter that would get them out of this place where they're standing around talking to each other. And I don't know if it's like because I got like writer's block at that particular point. It wasn't like I didn't really know what to do. It was just I couldn't finish that part of the story. And it was a very bizarre feeling. And then to have this label of calling it the murky middle somehow made me feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And um, made me realize it's very common to authors. Okay. Well, uh, since Jen's not here, let me speak for her right now then. So I know when she has issues with the center of her book, um, she does things for her characters like, I don't know, throw on birthday parties or do really nice things for them to make them really happy and <laughs> stuff like that. Is that correct? Am I, re- am I? No, Rhonda. Oh, oh. she's yeah. never mean to her characters in any oh, way. Oh yeah. You have to be mean to your characters, Rhonda. She never well, kills anybody. We're going to have an intervention for you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Work. So. That's really good because this this gets into ways that you can avoid the murky middle, keep yourself from getting there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Rhonda's being tongue-in-cheek because Jennifer's note in our outline here very clearly says, hurt your characters. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're, talk- we're supposed to talk about the fact that the midpoint um, of your story should be well, at least when you're writing romance, for sure. Um, something catastrophic or a disaster, or if it does, if it's not bad, it needs to at least be life-changing. An example of something, maybe a baby being born, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but something happens to really shake up the status quo of your book. So my uh, Tina's people who are walking along through the woods, maybe someone does fall down a, uh, a cliff. And then suddenly you've got a chain reaction point. So this action or incident happens. And because of that, and because of that, and if you think of an incident and then you can tack on because of that, well, that will get you kind of rolling and hopefully get the words going again. Right? Right. Right. Um, okay. So basically to put this into, um, uh, terms for writers instead of readers. Um, one way to put it would be um, it needs the character needs to be broken out of a reactionary state and they need to start uh, proactively looking for a change. So that is the whole point of hurting your character at this point in the novel. So there's been an inciting incident that they've been reacting to for a while. And now mm-hmm. it's time for them to start, like I said, proactively changing themselves or the situation. Wow. That's you're, really helpful. You just totally stole what I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I like thinking about that though, because it's almost like you're looking at your character and you're saying, so what are you going to do about this? Right. Instead mm-hmm. of just throwing things at them to see how they respond. Yeah. You're sort of challenging. For, yeah. Yeah. Times for reactions are kind of over in general. And now it's time for them to take charge of their story, literally. So Piper said, oh, Rhonda, that's what Joe Nassis taught in Vegas. Oh, well, 
And I awesome. actually have his little graphic from his class in oh. front of me. I actually like took a picture of it with my phone when I saw it. Because if you if you're doing like the hero's journey or or something that's not romance, then your story structure is a little different. And so you have like if you're having a four act structure, then from the end of act one to the beginning of act four is the middle of your book. So you have some kind of incident or disaster or story changing incident thing Mm -hmm. that happens at the end of act one. And that's what that thing that happens is what Rhonda's talking about that the character is reacting to. So they're running around emotionally reacting to Mm -hmm. whatever it was that happened. And then at the midpoint, there's something, there's a, there's a world shattering thing that changes their perspective. Either they suddenly understand who their enemy really is, or they mm-hmm. understand um, what it is they need to do, or they think they know who did it, like in a mystery. And so then from then on out, they're proactive, like she said, and they're acting towards accomplishing that goal. And with mm-hmm. several failures like they'll try something and fail try something and fail try something and fail and then the tension is slowly building Mm -hmm. until you get to the beginning of act four Mm -hmm. where is the final disaster or world changing event or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it that takes them to the end of the story Mm -hmm. so if you have that kind of structure in your story that's gonna help eliminate that yeah. So basically what happens is instead of them focusing on the all the int- external action coming at them all the time, they have finally um, gone internal and they see themselves in a different light than they had seen before. So that's where I it used to confuse me about, well, the external and the internal, how I was just confused about that. Anyway, hearing it put like that to me made sense finally. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really good about the ratcheting tension so that when you get to that final disaster, the tension has built up to the point where you think you can't go any further. And then something happens that really sends it into the stratosphere. And when I hear all of that and I think to myself, wow, that's great and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But then if you're writing something that isn't as epic as say the Hobbit or whatever, ratcheting tension in somebody's mundane, like Joe the banker, okay? It, it seems like it would be really hard to actually come up with those ideas. Like what could possibly ratchet up tension in the life of Joe the banker? You know what I'm saying? And so- Run on the bank. Well, it, well, see, now that's, it's starting, Tina, like a brainstorming session. Like she immediately blurted something out. And I think that good advice is to go ahead and consider every idea. What, yeah. what Tina just said, um, write down any idea that comes to you. Um, it's never, ever a waste to sit down and do this sort of work because you're mm-hmm. training your brain to reflexively give you the ideas the next time that you're stuck. So if you're not writing something where, well, you could just drop a battle in the middle of it. You can just, you know, have someone be poisoned. <clears throat> Excuse me, because that's not your genre brainstorming is your friend, I think, at this stage of the game. Our chat's been if, super I'm sorry, active. If Jen was here, she would say the what if questions. What right. if questions. She would write down a whole bunch of what if questions and um, pick one. Yeah, one or more. Or more, yeah. 
Um, the chat's been super active. Leah says she's 11 books in and the murky middle still feels like the swamp from the never ending story. Yes. I like that reference. Mm, I love that and, movie too. Yeah. Piper says she's read the recommendation. If you get stuck, ask yourself what could go wrong. There you go. That's a what if question. Mm -hmm. And Liz Henderson says she's really bad at hurting her darlings, let alone killing them. That is how mm -hmm. Rhonda feels, Liz. You guys are <laughs> simpatico. Let's start a support yeah. group. Yeah. <laughs> I had to kill my character today. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then Cindy says the first big change makes them react, but they're all emotional and unfocused. So the middle should give them something to focus on to fix the issue. Yes, this that is excellent. Who I'm sorry, who wrote that? Piper. Yes, Piper. Okay. So I'm so glad you went to your uh, thing last week, Piper. You have just feel like you're <laughs> going to be a fount of information coming up. Okay. <laughs> Um, so this is a great place to talk about how um, they, when this thing happens, it needs to be something that will cause your character to get rid of a layer of themselves. Um, because the whole point of the story is the character arc. And so your person, your character is supposed to be growing uh, through the novel if it's not a tragedy. Um, so, um, when the story started, there was something that your character believed in, someone that they loved. It was some sort of a security blanket that they had. And it wasn't something that could sustain them through life because it wasn't true security. So um, the incident that happens um, needs to be something that gets rid of that and replaces it with something that is scarier for this person, but more helpful or important. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's really useful. And that's, that's the kind of thing that used to sort of trip me up again with Mr. Mundane. Right. Um, but I feel like as I've gotten just written more and gotten better with the craft or whatever, my characters, I know them a little more. And they have more depth and these things are kind of easier to spot. Mm -hmm. Leah says a good tension for a normal life scenario is that someone has a bad attitude or maybe they overhear a negative conversation. Right. All right. So um, Tina, didn't you have some examples of some novels with middles? Um, I do. I have three actually. Um, the first one is Star Wars. Um, Star the midpoint of Star Wars is where um Leia lie Princess Leia lies about the location of the rebel base and they blow up her plant, home planet of Alderaan. And right at, and so three things happen right at, in succession and right at the middle of Star Wars. And then the Millennium Falcon comes out of hyperspace to discover that Alderaan has been destroyed and they're caught in the tractor beam of the Death Star and they're being pulled in. So that's the midpoint of Star Wars. And um, these are examples of magnificent middles, right? Magnificent middles. So you can mm -hmm. see where, okay, now they have to, now they're going to have to do something because they'll be like being in, pulled in and all that stuff. So um, so that's an example of imperiling your characters and forcing mm -hmm. them to do something. That's why. Yeah. That's, yeah. They okay, have to got be it. proactive to save themselves. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, um, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so did you want to say something about Star Wars? Because I was going to move on to the next No, one. no, I have another uh, suggestion for a book. So you finish yours. Okay. Okay, so Pride and Prejudice. Um, the midpoint of Pride and Prejudice is where uh, Lizzie has turned down Mr. Darcy's marriage proposal, and he writes her a letter explaining himself, and she suddenly realizes that she was wrong about, about everything about him. Like all her pre- her prejudice, her pride, and her prejudice, she was prejudiced against him because of her pride. It's suddenly thrown out the window because she just didn't understand him at all, and suddenly she sees him in a different light. So that's, so that's a, go ahead. That's a pretty good normal mundane person. A letter, a letter shows up and explains things to you mm-hmm. in a way that um, you didn't understand before. That's very pragmatic yeah. and realistic mm-hmm. it's not a tractor beam <laughs> right it's not a tractor beam mm-hmm. um and so the midpoint of um harry potter and the sorcerer's stone um is when harry discovers that hogwarts has been protecting the stone so he it changes everything right mm-hmm. when he discovers that and then from that point on the story it sends him in a totally different direction so those are the three mm-hmm. that I have. Okay. Um, you had one? Yes. Uh, okay. So I don't know how many people read The Hunger Games, but I love those books. I thought they were fabulous. Anyway, so in the first one, um, there's a point where Katniss is in the, hunger, in the games and she befriends a little girl. Her name is Rue. And what that does is it basically turns her... When she first gets, it's all confusion. All the stuff is new to her. And um, from the beginning of the book, you know, that Katniss is someone who cares about people, individual people. And she's a rebel against the government, of course, and all that. But um, she's just thrown completely out of her space until she gets to the point where she meets a little girl who's also in the games. Her name is Rue. And she sort of takes her under her arm and cares for her. And what it does is it reminds Katniss what is important to her. And it's the individual people in their individual lives. And it helps her refocus her laser aim on how to get out of there and how to protect Rue. Um, It's sort of, instead of the whole world being against her, there's this one thing that it's like a token of focus for her, basically. Like an anchor. It's like an anchor for Like an anchor. Yeah, an anchor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And it makes her, um, gives her sort of a purpose. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Kind of scanning around for like, Mm -hmm. what is, there's no meaning here. There's Mm -hmm. no, yeah. Yep. Very good. Uh, And then another one from a movie is Frozen. um, When Anna comes to the castle and she sees what her sister's really capable of. That changes everything for her. Yeah, and if you guys need um, anything from us about this topic, go ahead and speak up in the chat. Um, how is everybody feeling now about their tackling their murky middle? I know that Jason, for one, was really looking forward to this episode. It is the middle of National Novel Writing Month. Um, Tina, I know that you have quit. Rhonda, are you in a murky middle place with what you're doing or not so much? 
No, I'm not because what I'm doing is um, I'm using Nano this month to finish editing a book and putting it up on Vela. And so that's already been tackled in this book for me. But I do have one uh, percolating in the back of my mind. And I uh, just when I was talking about her games, I just had a thought for one of them. So kind of to help solve your own murky middle. You kind mm-hmm. of, yep. Yes. And um, I am sad to report that my nano project is just basically a string of words. There's not really a whole big lot of plot happening. Um, but then I think it's because... Um, I am a pantser and um, that's just kind of the nature of pantsing is that you, you don't have an A to B that you're really heading toward. And so the whole thing is sort of a murky middle. <laughs> I'm feeling my way through the whole shebang of it and just getting out those daily words. But I'm wondering if anybody in the chat is having any trouble with their murky middle and could use a suggestion. Um Liz Henderson is saying, have you heard of Save the Cat? One of the beats is the midpoint turn. Rhonda's a big Save the Cat fan. Yes. um, That's what we based our workbook on was the uh, Save the Cat beats. And yeah, I just love the way that he lays that out. And you don't miss any of the points that you have to have in your book if you follow along. Great. and a great resource. It is. Piper says this will give her the guidance for plotting or her version of that, which is just to give herself landmarks to drive toward. Yep. Yep. I like that. Okay, good. That makes me happy. Um, Okay. Uh, Should we move on to our feeding of the backs or do you have anything more to say about this topic? No, I don't think so. Unless something comes up in the chat. What about you, Tina? No, I think that we're, um, Jason has something to say here. Let's see what he has to say. He says, I've been struggling with mine, been working on the outline for my book, also trying to make sure I have the right spot as the middle. Oh, okay. So if Jason writes fantasy, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Like uh, Knights and Castles kind of stuff. So do you guys know what kind of a thing should be his midpoint? I think think he was saying that there was some kind of a people who don't know if they love each other-ness. So if that's the case, if it's a romance, this is supposed to be the point where it looks like things are the bleakest and darkest. They will never, Mm -hmm. ever, ever be able to be together. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, Either the mentor wizard has just died or abandoned him in some way or... He just uh, discovered that it's up to him to kill the dragon or everybody's going to die. Yeah. So I guess... Right. What is the most critical thing that will happen that should be his midpoint is this what we're saying the most the most impactful decision the most important change the most earth-shattering moment of the story that makes him that forces him to act in in some way yes forces him to take action i hope that helps jason that's all there is to it that's all you gotta do (laughs) yeah you see his pie (laughs) (laughs) yeah I want pie. Oh, that sounds really good. Okay. Um, all right. Well, then let's uh, move on to the feeding of the backs then. I know I did not get to my murky middle. Let's find out if the other ladies did. So uh, let's see. Tina, why don't we have you go first today? Okay. Well, I just want you to know that I looked up murky in the dictionary. And one of the definitions is misunderstood. And because of... um 
some because of deceitful or something else motives. Anyway, mm. because of the motives, somebody's just misunderstood. So I, hmm. you got to know that to understand why my stories follows the prompt. You also have to know that because of my WhatsApp, I did not complain a single bit about this prompt this week, which you guys, no one has revealed yet. This fantastic prompt that we were assigned. Right. Huh. Tina, why don't you reveal that for us? Okay. It's the case of the murky turkey. (laughs) So here we go. And it's not a case. I don't know. I've missed that part of it. All right. Here we go. Tommy wandered over to the fence looking for stray pieces of corn the others had missed. He didn't know why they never woke him up when it was time to eat. They just all ran to get their own bellies full. The pigs were grunting at their trough thoroughly enjoying the unpalatable slop the farmer had dumped into it. Tom turned his tail feathers in their direction to signal his disapproval. Like they would even notice with their snouts buried in yesterday's table scraps. A cow lowed from somewhere out in the pasture. Those things were eating machines. All they did was eat all day long. Tommy wished he could be a cow and never have to worry about going hungry. Their meal was always under their feet. Tommy spotted a piece of corn and hurried toward it, his gobble bouncing in a way that he imagined must be irresistible to the ladies. As a matter of fact, here came Jenny now, running toward him with all the agility of youth. She was a fine-looking hen with feathers in all the right places. He paused, (laughs) turned toward her, and spread out his tail feathers to their full glory. Gotta give them what they want, after all. Jenny ran right past him. Snatched up the piece of corn he'd spotted and darted away again. Tommy chased her. Whether to show his irritation or woo her, he hadn't decided. He just didn't understand these ladies. Didn't they know there was no reason to play hard to get? The sound of corn rustling against plastic drew his attention to the farmer, who was coming toward him with a feed bucket in his hand. Tommy changed directions as quickly as his plump body would allow and hurried toward the farmer. Poor Tommy! Those ladies just don't understand you, do they? Here, this will make you feel better. The farmer dumped a large pile of corn right in front of Tommy. He dug in. He was so enjoying his corn that he almost didn't hear the farmer when he said, After all, it's almost November, and the fatter you are, the better. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) Yay! Poor Tommy. Yes, poor Tommy. Tommy is misunderstood. Yeah, oh, that, that is so a good. great story. I love all the agility of youth and feathers in all the right places. Mm-hmm. Well, and, <laughs> and all you'd have to know turkeys to understand that reference because Jenny is the name of a young hen. Oh, I was thinking Jenny O turkeys that are sold. Oh, well, in- that's why they call them Jenny O. <laughs> that's what they call a young hen. Oh, Jenny. Okay. Everybody is wailing for poor Tommy in the comments. Yes, he's misunderstood. (laughs) He just wants love and food. (laughs) Well, don't worry. He will be a guest at dinner soon enough. (laughs) All right. Gigi likes your hint of romance in your turkey story. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I guess tradition dictates I go next. Um, all right. So super short as usual, but this one I am 100% finishing today because I'm all right. 
Thanksgiving is ruined, Lucy wailed. She dropped her head into her hands and the small shoulder shutters turned into full-blown heaves in concert with the loud bawling. Dallas, who had been trying to comfort Lucy, raised his hands in surrender, slowly backed away from her and shook his head. Having gotten Jenny's attention, he mouthed the words, I tried, and scooted out of there. He disappeared into the family room where the non-cookers were watching the doomed football game. <laughs> Jenny steeled herself against Lucy's barrage of siren-like sounds and moved close enough to pet Lucy's arm. She took a deep breath and half concentrating on her consume for Lu Lucy's turkey, half concentrating on keeping her eyes from rolling, she prepared to console the old woman. Just then, the door burst open and the silhouetted figure of a superwoman stood there, hands on hips, scarf flapping in the November breeze like a cape. A bomber cap. <laughs> the end. Oh, That's as far as I got. But I have so much turkey, to say. Like a turkey rescue person is come? Yes. Yeah. To save the day. To save the day. I love and it. And what I is this it. turkey rescue person's name? Nettie. That's what mm -hmm. I thought. <laughs> That's I amazing. Love Nettie. Yeah. And I love, I don't remember the character's name, but mouthing I tried and then oh. escaping. Like I like, see, this is what you do with characters, Rhonda. Like <laughs> immediately everybody knows this person. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm out of here before the stuff gets too thick. I did my part. I tried. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah yeah and those are perfect examples of like shattering moments in everyday mundane you know life where you know the turkey is ruined and here comes the savior and mm -hmm. yeah yeah you must finish this we must know how the turkey is saved mm -hmm. yeah the doomed mo or the the midpoint actually is the doomed football game <laughs> Can everybody guess know. that they're watching the Lions? Yeah, I was gonna say absolutely. Yeah. Um, Rhonda, so good. You have to post the rest later. Shell says, and Gigi also is glad that you're going to finish it. Yeah, th yeah. There's a, there was a joke I heard the other day that said, um, "Like if you're going out in public, wear a lion's jersey so we won't catch anything." Um. I have to say, we didn't mention that these are unedited, so we only give positive feedback. It's not just that we're trying not to be complainers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we right. we write these sprints just before we go live on the air. And in fact, if you ever want to watch me actually create mine, um, I stream them to our Christian Indie Writers YouTube channel. So you can watch me create my sprint um, before the podcast. It usually happens sometime in the nine o'clock hour. Typically it's around nine 30 ish after we've all logged on and gotten ready for the daily or the weekly podcast. Just FYI for everyone. All right. Are so why don't we hear what stuff? you read? Okay. And I think I needed to say that these are unedited because this is just, <laughs> I didn't even know where this came from except the title of the prompt. So, okay, here we go. When Clive Mansford wrote The Case of the Murky Turkey in 1967, he had no idea the story would propel him to such heights of fame, nor did he realize how that one tale, written over a single drunken weekend while holed up in a guest room at his mother-in-law's summer house on Lake Schopenhauer, would plague him for the rest of his days. It was the only mystery the author ever wrote, in spite of clamorings from his fan base to give them another story about his famed amateur sleuth, a plucky cook named Hillary Rathbone. 
Clive had made the mistake of not just creating a gripping narrative with just the right amount of red herrings and plot twists. He had also managed to create one of the characters, one of those characters that goes down, goes on to create its own lore among the fan base. Clive tried to find success with his other stories, but while this, while they sold well, none of his characters had the sticking power of good old Hillary Rathbone. So bad did things get regarding dear Hillary Rathbone that Clive got a question incorrect on a trivia game about the character while participating in a contest at his local pub and was mocked endlessly about the faux pas in the rags the following week. <laughs> Clive hated Hillary Rathbone even more than he hated his third wife, who had somehow managed to coax him into his nuptials with the premarital agreement still unsigned and in its plain white envelope in Clive's desk drawer. In fact, next to this plain white envelope sat another, in which the sequel to the turkey book sat, and in which Miss Rathbone suffered a long and torturous death inside an industrial-sized meat smoker. On this one particular <laughs> afternoon, Clive was sitting at that very desk, ruminating over this very manuscript, debating once again whether or not he should send it to his editor for a lookover. He knew what he would be doing by releasing the book. He would once again have the thrill of seeing his name appear at the top of the bestseller charts, would once again delight at seeing copies of his book being read on the train and in the local coffee shop, but he would also become the most hated man in the world. Hadn't his experience after the trivia show taught him the public could be quite cruel? The phone rang. Clive here. Clive, it's Jerry. Clive's editor, Jerry McGrudel, spoke with a crisp, efficient manner. I was wondering how you were doing with the new thing. Didn't you say it was another mystery? Clive bit his bottom lip and glanced with guilt at his typewriter, from which protruded a half-type page not even Clive cared enough about to remember. Jerry, I was wondering if it was time to revisit the world of Hillary Rathbone. Clive tried, and the reaction was as explosive and instantaneous as he'd expected it to be. Clive, my boy, I can't believe this tremendous news. I will get word out to the papers immediately. Through my side channels, of course. Nothing as tacky as a direct quote. Then another Hillary Rathbone book is in the makings. How soon do you think you can have it done? Well, now, Jerry, I don't want you to go getting all excited just yet. Oh, come on, Clive. She's your most developed and beloved character. She'll be a cinch to write. Jerry felt his lips pressed together in the way only comments such as this from non-writers could make happen. How could Jerry possibly know with what ease or complication Clive might complete another murky turkey-type saga? The fact that he was completely right was irrelevant. Clive had banged out the trifling thing in a matter of hours. Jerry, I've killed her, he blurted as punishment for the remark. You've, oh no, Clive, you can't. It's too late. Stick a fork in the old girl. She's done. Literally, having been barbecued on a gigantic carousel inside an industrial smoker. No, Clive, I mean, Jerry fell silent. So quiet did the line go, in fact, that Clive was sure there must have been a disconnect. Hello? I'm here, Clive, and I'm thinking, perhaps this might be the best news I've gotten all day. You mean you like the idea of killing off your cash cow? Well, to be honest, Clive, old boy, and time was like way more than up at that point. The ladies had to text me and say, time's up, Jamie, because I had muted my microphone. So I got an extra couple of minutes. Sorry about that. You're welcome to them. I love this. I know. I know. From your opening statement, like there's so much good stuff all the way through this. Oh my gosh. Okay. The thing about the um, prenup still being folded and not even taken out of the envelope in his desk says so much about that relationship and the whole dynamics there. Oh my gosh. I love the story so much, Jamie. Oh, thank you. What I want is to read 
this mystery with Hillary Rathbone. That's what I want. <laughs> it's so nice to just vaguely reference, reference the best book ever written and not actually have to write it yourself. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you gave us enough that it made me want to read it. Uh, yes. Like, I was like, oh, I want to know who this Hillary Rathbone is. Yes. Piper wants to know what was the ending going to be. And if I know Clive, it was going to be something about him being like, I can't believe these people are actually going to love me for killing this person after all of that. Do you know what I'm saying? It was probably going to be some kind of a like, I'm a broody writer and you can't stop me sort of a thing because he seems to me to be sort of that that bent of a person. Just FYI. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome. That was really good. Thanks. And um, is that just... a real lake? What was the name of that lake again? Lake Schopenhauer. I don't know. Yeah. Schopenhauer, I think, is a conductor or a musician, like a like he wrote. Oh no, he was I got that name from Life is Beautiful. Schopenhauer was teaching him how to hypnotize himself. So I don't even know who Schopenhauer is, but that word popped into my head to call it like Schopenhauer. <laughs> I feel like it's in upstate New York somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's great. Right. I want to go to Lake Schopenhauer. I want to read about Hillary Rathbone. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Jamie, if you want to just take the last 15 minutes and just dictate the rest of the story for us, that'd be fine. Thanks you guys. This is very flattering. I love words of affirmation. This is my favorite part of the week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, I guess that means we move on to our next segment, which is called What's Next? So we talked about what was up in the beginning of our podcast, and now we're going to talk about what we're going to be doing um, until the next podcast. So we would like to hear from you in the chat as well. So for now, Tina, what are you doing next? Well, today I am leaving to go on a retreat with my daughter. Yay! And I am going to be stepping way out of my comfort zone because we are participating in a lip sync contest. <laughs> so the um, the theme of the whole weekend is Disney cruising. Um, and so we're pretending like we're on a Disney cruise. Like all the hotel rooms are going to have like portholes on the doors and stuff. So um we you had to pick a Disney song to lip sync to, so we're gonna do "Baby Mine" from Dumbo, and we're gonna dress up like elephants. And I even ordered like elephant ears from Amazon, <laughs> so I have like elephant ear headband that I'm gonna wear, and little gray bow tie, and these um, gray mittens that have pink palms. And Amber, my daughter, is gonna have huge ears. And I got stuff to make a little Dumbo hat for her. Mm, and we're going to make a, a background on a science board of the trailer that says Mad Elephant. So I'm the, I'm the Mad Elephant. So. <laughs> so that should be fun. So I'm hoping there's not going to be many pictures, but there probably will. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're my friend on Facebook, you'll probably see them. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know how to stop that from happening. I I just, I am very excited for you. And I love that you're going to be spending time with your daughter. 
And then relevant to this present moment, it's almost lunchtime and you said elephant ears. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, why is you it know, county You know, I really, season? really want to get my son-in-law, because they live across the street from where we're going to be, to come in and be the mouse at the end that pulls Dumbo away from his mom. Aww. I think that would be so symbolic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Very good. Very good. What's next with you, Rhonda? Uh, what's next with me is um, trying to catch back up with my um, getting my book on Zella. Uh, Vella. <laughs> on Vella. Yes, sorry. Um, so I got a little bit behind in the last week or so, but I'm not terribly behind and I am totally able to keep up, catch up. So I'm going to spend um, probably most of tomorrow trying to catch up. And then next week I'll be able to say, hopefully, that I've got the whole entire story up on Vella. Yay! And it's Dee Dee Bowman. Yep, Dee Dee Bowman. And the name of the story is uh, just look for the big Z um, on the in the cozy mystery section. That's awesome. Jason says his what's next. He's going to be tackling the middle of his story this weekend. I now know that I need to go a little farther in the story before I really am in the middle. Yay, we helped him. Hooray. Hooray. That's awesome. Uh, Liz Henderson, what's next? More nano drafting. And I should start thinking of Christmas gifts for my family. Oh, my goodness. That is right around the corner, you guys. A new novel. <laughs> oh, yes. Piper. Everybody's says, getting money at my house. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Piper says next. Brainstorming landmarks for the work in progress. Waiting for COVID test results. Vegas had some victims. So she's being cautious and making pies for next week. And then Shell says, Nano and Turkey Day prep. Is there a podcast next Friday? Yeah, that's a good question, you guys. Are we are we doing next Friday with that? No, that you guys- that's, that's an announcement that we were going to make before we signed off that mm-hmm. we are taking next Friday off for Thanksgiving, for the American mm-hmm. Thanksgiving holiday. And we will see you all again on December 3rd, where our topic is going to be how to write a Hallmark Christmas romance. <laughs> Although we might not be able to use the word hallmark in Mm -hmm. our title. We're still researching that. And I don't think 20 days of not complaining is over. And so, no, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, they th- see, they had to have the meeting without me because I had to work, but um, they thought I wouldn't be thrilled about that topic. But I think that that would actually be a fun thing to take a crack at sometime. Um, Piper says, Tina, it sounds adorable. And she hopes that there are pictures me too i think it sounds really cute you should you should be even pose for a picture i'd like to see you in your elephant ears I'm the sure non-delicious there. variety <laughs> there's, there's also pirate night so <laughs> i have a pirate outfit so they might be seeing that too you're a great person <laughs> right. to bring at parties like this you're really into it <laughs> normally i'm not i'm trying to to be a little more um out there good for you Yep. That's awesome, Tina. You've made some really great changes this year and you're, you're great. You're awesome. Thanks. Um, Shell just solved our problem. She said substitute cheesy for Hallmark and we're all set. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Yep. Okay. Jamie, what is next for you? Well, my um, writing career is really like I'm very scattery, but I am 
maintaining my NaNoWriMo goal of writing every single day. I've written at least 1667 every day. Yay for me. And I've shown up for the podcast. Yay for me. And I've shown up and sat my butt in the chair from 10 to 12 every day. Yay for me. Um, I am scrambling to get my website caught up. www.writingshorts.net. You heard the short story that I wrote as a sprint today. The actual text of that sprint will be posted there eventually. But every sprint I've written for the podcast is posted over there. So if you want some free short stories to read, if you want to see what um, my unedited pieces look like, I post them right over there. I don't do any changes or fixes. And also the links to watching me write them live are there. If you go to writingshorts.net, you can also get a free copy of my book, A Night's Gift, while that is still the freebie that I am giving away. So go on over there and subscribe to the newsletter, writingshorts.net. And thanks for your support. (laughs) All right. Well, do we have anything else to say before we end the podcast? Did you do your what's next, Rhonda? I did. It was very short and sweet. Oh. Okay, I missed it. She's going to get the rest of her book up on Vela. That's right. Mm -hmm. I didn't miss it. I just forgot. I'm getting old. I'm getting to that age where you turn around in the kitchen (laughs) to get something out of the cupboard and you forget (laughs) what you want to get. I think what's next for Jen would be to get all excited about the upcoming romance uh, episode that we're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that she's probably excited and she's probably going to be doing even more Christmas decorating because it is getting to be the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess that concludes our podcast for today. Thank you to everyone in the chat for joining and for um, talking along and adding to our uh, podcast today. We appreciate all of you and we will see you again next week. So. uh, Or not next week, two weeks. Oh, that's right. That's right. Here's our (laughs) announcement. No podcast next week. So two weeks from now. (laughs) I just am so excited to see everybody again. That's all there is to it. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, um, so until we see each other again, may your pen be prolific, your deadlines be met, and may all of your words honor Christ. Bye.